Hello and welcome to Game Devastation. My name is Stephanie Frost. I'll be your host today, as usual. Uh, and joining me today is Asa Dang. Asa, you are a scripter designer. Is that the correct terminology for what you're doing these days? Um, there's a lot of different terms for what I do. Uh, currently, my title is co-founder and technical director of Wolf Brew Games. TD. All right. That's cool. So uh, you got your start in the industry. Oh, actually, hold on. What have you worked on? Let, let's let's start from there. What, what are the games you've worked on? Um, a few of them were canceled, but uh, let's see. I worked on uh, <clears throat> Major League Eating with you, actually, back mm-hmm. in uh, back in Utah. It's a gem. Right. Uh, I got to work on Metalocalypse the game, but that unfortunately got canceled before it came out when it, when it got to beta. Um, I worked on Kick-Ass the game. Um, <clears throat> I worked on... Grand Theft Auto Five was was the last big thing I worked on. <laughs> was, I, I don't know if people have heard of that game. No, usually they don't. When yeah. when I when I wear the shirt around, people always ask me what I'm wearing. Yeah, what is that? What is that Grand Theft Auto that you're wearing? Uh, <laughs> right. So you're doing that, and then you left Rockstar, and now you are doing what? Uh, so <clears throat> I left Rockstar because um, I wanted to start working on basically my own stuff. Um, Grand Theft Auto is so huge that you're your content and the stuff that you make kind of gets lost in in the game. Um, it's, you just you own a very very small section of the game. So I kind of wanted to do something where I could kind of have ownership of most of the game. And so uh, I got contacted by uh, an artist from uh, Metalocalypse actually, and um, he had a lot of art that he had already started. Um, he's been tweeting and put posting on forums all this art that he's been had, had been creating for this game that he wanted to do um, explain the game to me and um, it just sounded like an, an awesome idea and uh, he wanted to kind of do the same thing I did where we just wanted to make our own game and so now we have just two people making a game so it that's crazy uh, there's, there's two dudes and you're making a game right now and the game's called Slain so right. can you describe to people what Slain is so uh, Slain started out as uh, it used to be called the Seven Towers um, we're kind of keeping it simple for the name. Um, basically, there are seven towers. There's 14 stages. Um, there's <clears throat> It's a side-scroller. So the way it starts out is uh, each stage um, has a, a section that's a like a, a flat side-scrolling, left to right, um, like kind of linear level. Um, and then after you beat the level, you reach tower, and then each tower is a, more of like a platforming, um, up-and-down, uh, vertical uh, side-scroller. So it, it kind of breaks up the gameplay, and it gives a lot of, of content for the whole game. Um, but it's it stars a hero, Bathrin, and he is um, going through the, the different seven towers, uh, trying to fight his his nemesis, the Lord Vrol. And um, there's a, a lot of stuff I don't want to give away in the story that I'm not sure if I can, because Andrew is very protective about the story. But um, yeah, those those are the, those are the basic elements. What do you think the main influences are for you for the game? Like when you're, because you're going to be the one that's that's doing all the coding and scripting and all the fun stuff. So what what do you take from the design side on things? Right. Okay. Um, to be honest, the, most of the design stuff um, is is Andrews. Um, he kind of wanted to take lead on the design stuff. Um, a, a lot of the level design, the combat design, um, it's it's mostly him. Um, the, the influences that he gets is from all the console stuff that he plays. Um, I try to, to add stuff where I can or try to um, 
I guess, change change his design uh, where I, I think it needs to be. Um, and it's mostly from, like, the console influences as I was a kid. Like, I used to play uh, Castlevania, and uh, <clears throat> I used to play Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, Andrew's actually never played Castlevania, even though people keep drawing uh, uh, similarities between the, the art in Slam yeah. and the art in Castlevania. <laughs> it does look like Symphony of Night a little, a little bit, so right. that's, that's pretty surprising. Okay, well, that's cool. But, yeah, so. one of the things we wanted to do is make a game that could have been made in that time like in the 90s on a console but make it the way we want to do it and you know make something that they they uh probably would have never come out with (laughs) right on so um you guys were on kickstarter uh what what and you were successful so congrats on that by the way um so how did you create a successful kickstarter campaign to get your game funded uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how it was successful, but um, uh, the, the idea we had going into it was that uh, we needed to have something that was uh, that was close to uh, a, a finished product, um, or at least looked like it was close to a finished product. Um, so we had been working on the game, um, trying to get it ready for the PC, and we're thinking maybe putting it on consoles, and a lot of people were telling us, oh, this would look great on the uh, PS Vita or... It would look great on the Nintendo DS or the Wii. So we kind of framed uh, the Kickstarter as, let's see if we get enough people to help us put it on a console, and uh, let's see if you can help us finish the game. And so we framed it like that, and a lot of people got on board and said, we want to help finish this game, and we want to see it on all these different consoles. So it kind of made the project a little bit bigger, but it also gave us a, a nice following. And a lot of people from Kickstarter uh, you know, came into it and saw our game. So we got a lot of... Uh, a lot of new followers. So that's cool. Um, when you were starting this process out, what, what were you? Because you, earlier you kind of said like, "I'm surprised and shocked that this happened." I mean, what what do you think was going to happen going into it? Um, I thought we were maybe going to hit our goal or get somewhere near our goal. Um, I I didn't think we'd we'd hit our goal within the first week and then you know make almost twice as much as we asked for. So I yeah, I just didn't expect that really. Um, it's when you're cl- close to a project, you don't know how much people will get excited for it, and you don't really know um, what it's gonna, what people are gonna react, how people are gonna react to it. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, you guys are obviously gonna go towards the console stuff. How close do you think you are to being complete with the game? Um, I think we're a few months off. Uh, I honestly think we're gonna uh, be done somewhere in the summer. Uh, we definitely won't release everything all at once. Uh, we're going to do it tiered because it, it's just two of us right now. Um, but yeah, we're probably going to release for the PC first um, and then decide which consoles are we're gonna be, we can release on uh, quickest. Uh, we might keep the uh, PS Vita for the last console because it uh, may take a little bit extra to get everything scaled down and working properly and nicely on the Vita. So when you guys were doing this, were you just kind of funding this off of your own bank accounts basically i mean how did this even get started yeah so uh, basically we were just using our free time um there there was no funding at all we started with a uh, uh an engine called construct which is only for the pc um and it was i think 160 dollars in order to get the license and that is literally all we put into the the game for maybe seven months <laughs> wow we, we came up with uh, just a demo um, and then we started using that demo and took it to, I believe, EGX um, in September last year. And uh, a lot of people liked it there. So we kept working on it. 
So you said it was in Construct. Is it going to continue to stay in Construct, or is it in something else now? So in October, we actually switched over to Unity so that we could have the ability to to put it on different platforms, and also because Unity um, has a lot more uh, different features. Right. So uh, and Unity is cool because it seems like, like Unreal, they have these different settings, like for like a side-scroller version of a game, you can start with that. Is that kind of how you guys started with it, or is it just... We're just going to use base Unity and then start from there and go. Uh, first, we started just uh, with base Unity, but um, looking around they, uh, and especially with the the um, upgrade to uh, Unity Five that they just released, um, they put in a lot more stuff for two D, and so we started utilizing a lot of those features. So when you guys are doing the design kind of stuff how do you get things like jump arcs and attack ranges and all that who who's setting that up and who's defining that and how does that work between the two of you um usually i set it up first uh it if if it's something like a jump or um, a player move i'll have to put it in the game uh i'll code it in and then we'll just we'll put it on the server i have an asset server that uh keeps everything and then we kind of just pass it back and forth tweak it and talk about it (laughs) Right it's uh yeah it's a it's a team effort as far as uh as far as the the tweaking part goes. Now, where does your uh, partner in crime live exactly? He is located in um a small town in Texas called Canadian. Okay, and then where are you located? Uh, I'm in San Diego. Right. So that's that's kind of crazy. Is it been challenging with the distance between you guys or do you feel like it, everything's been working out pretty good? I thought it would be a challenge, but honestly, um nothing has really come up that's that's been a problem that's crazy Um, to me like there's so there's um the guys that we talked to last time chasm um they have a side scroller that they're working on and there's about like five guys on that game and every single one of them is in a different area and so they've been doing this over the phone Uh, it's the same with some of the guys that i talked to that did um uh berserkers they're the same thing They're, they're just working remotely um do you think this is kind of where indie games are going in the future? Um, it seems like it. It just we have all these tools that make it really conducive to to uh, do this work uh, remotely. The only thing that that uh, I have problems with is I can't I can't take my dev kit on the road with me um, because I have to have a secured office in order uh, order to use it. So uh, in order to do my dev kit stuff and plat on the the console platform stuff, I have to I have to be at home. Gotcha. So. Uh, Let's let's start back at the beginning when we were talking. Uh, how did you get your start in the industry? Where did you uh, where did you begin your journey? Um, well, I started just uh, programming cell phone applications at an X game company, um, it was Sapphire Corporation or Sapphire Incorporated. I can't remember if they're incorporated or a corporation, but um, it was in 2007 in Utah. Um, I just I needed a job. Um, I had a friend that was was working there, so he referred me, and then I got the job pretty quickly. Um, the way I got into the game industry was he actually had a job interview at Sensory Sweep in Utah, and um, we carpooled to work. So one day he told me that he was going to stop there for an interview, and so we might have to reschedule the carpool. And I just said, well, can I come and check out check out the, uh, the game studio while you go have an interview? Um, and when I showed up, um, the producer that was interviewing him wanted to know who I was and asked if I wanted to get an interview as well. And I just, <laughs> so they were, that was how it started, right? They were just making it rain interviews effectively and you have yep. to walk in at the right time. That's exactly it. Right. Okay. So yeah, that, that was with Hal, right? 
Am yeah. I remembering that correctly? Al okay. walked out into the uh, waiting room and was like, oh, who is this, your friend? <laughs> right. So you start, you, you interview there, you get the job, obviously. Um, and then you start working on what? Um, let's see. I started working on, um, I, th I think we started working on um, MLE and Tales of Despero at the same time. Um, I honestly don't remember which one was first. But um, MLE was the first one that I was I was fully on. Um, like, we had a, what, a 12-person team, I think? <laughs> Barely. Uh, and also, I'm going to point this out. I'm gonna, normally, I don't do this, but I'm going to do this because we're talking about it. Uh, when I started in the industry, I started at Disney Interactive, and uh, Sensory Sweep hit me up off of the Internet, and they said, hey, we'd love to interview you for a design position. And I'd been in the industry for maybe six months. And so I thought, man, this is cool. I, I can get a design position really quickly here. So I talked with these guys. And when I went out there, they said, hey, we have the Smash TV license. Did they tell you that at all? Where, was that? No, they never told me that during the interview. Um, but when I got there, uh, they, they wanted me to work on the Smash TV. Uh, they wanted, they, I think I was the first programmer to work on it. Well, so, right. So they, they hit me up and they said, hey, uh, we've got the Smash TV license. It's going to be awesome. We're going to develop for it. You interested? And I said, hell yeah, I'm interested because I loved that game when I was a kid. I played in the arcade all the time, so I was really stoked to work on it. So I packed up all my things from California, drove in my car uh, with all my belongings, uh, left my then fiance in California to finish up school. Uh, so I relocated my entire life to work on Smash TV. And when I get there, they're like, hey, we didn't get the license. But what we did get was Major League eating the game. And then I think I met you five minutes after that. So I think I was probably not in the best mood after uh, relocating my entire life to work on an eating game. I wouldn't be either. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was interesting. So that at that point, I meet I meet you. And I think you because you were from California originally as well. Right. Or right. Hawaii, technically. Right. Yeah. I'm from um, I was raised in Hawaii. And then but. I moved from California to Utah. Right. So uh, then we start working on Major League Eating. What? So tell me, about, from your perspective, what was it like working on Major League Eating the game? Because you can't... It, it's weird because I think... How long did we have for that game? Like six months to make it? Yeah, about... Yeah, so it was about six months. It was a WiiWare title. Um, can you tell me your memories on that? What, what it was like working... <laughs> on a six-month project that we had to get done through Nintendo that fast? Um, it, when, I, when I think about it right now, um, it honestly doesn't, it does, doesn't seem that bad compared to, the, to, compared to the, like, the different crunches that I've been on since. But um, it, was, it was just kind of um, not, not well-formed, not put together, not managed correctly. Um, yeah, it was just a bunch of guys who weren't really sure. They were all, we were all kind of new at, at, to to working with each other and working in the positions that we were working in. So it was just kind of a, it was a little bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember like there was like no training. There was no, uh, talking about how the tools worked. Really the tools themselves were proprietary and would crash all the time. Um, to me, it's, it's incredible that that game actually shipped like of, of all the things that kind of happened, it was it was just like there were to your point, there were a lot of people like myself included that were just brand new to the industry that were kind of like, OK, well, we'll just hop in and try to learn these tools and get this done in a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, so we, we worked on Major League Eating the Game. 
not the best game in the world. Uh, and then we worked on Tales of Despero. What did you do on Despero? Uh, I just did uh, camera work. So we did a bunch of camera design. Right. Yes, I did that with you as well. Um, yeah, so that at that point, I think it was like, okay, let's get the camera design working. And we had to work with the publisher who was coming in uh, and was saying, okay, these are the, this is the angle I want for when he's running up here. And we just kind of formulated that until they were happy with it. Um, after that, I think we worked on Vacation Island. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, that's right. With yeah. the Wii board. With the Wii Fit board. <laughs> so, yeah, the, we had a, a publisher. Midway was the publisher on that. And uh, they were trying to make a game that was kind of a quick turnaround. And, you know, the Wii uh, Fit board was big at the time. Um, with Wii Fit came out and it was selling gangbusters. But I think that was pretty much it for that thing. For that, that game eventually came out after uh, it left the studio. Yes, it did. Uh, I talked with the producer, Nico Bahari, actually, about it at E3, not too long <laughs> ago. Uh, but yeah, and in fact, played it. But so we were working on that, and then uh, effectively, Midway was shut down, and Sensory Sweep was also going through a pretty crappy transition because they were losing projects. This is right when the financial crash hit, so that was no fun. And then at that point, you you had left, correct? So you, where did you go after that? Um, I got a job in Green Bay. So I left uh, back. I went back to San Diego and lived with my parents for a couple months, and then just looked online for a job and found a job relatively quick, quickly. But it was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> so. But um, when I went for the interview, they told me I would be working on Metalocalypse, the game, and I said, "Sign me up." <laughs> yeah, we were both pretty big fans of that show in Utah, um, and I remember you getting that job. I was like, "Damn, that's." I'm jealous because that's cool. Uh, so you <laughs> but then it didn't work out for me, <laughs> which is a bummer because that could have been pretty sweet. Um, what the company was Frozen Codebase, right? That you worked right. for, right? Exactly. So um, and you'd worked on Metalocalypse first or Kickass? So we worked on Metalocalypse first and then got the Kickass project um, afterwards. It was right when the Kickass movie was coming out, so the game was a, um, a a release with the movie. Okay. And so, how long did you guys have to work on that? On which one? on kick-ass oh we had about five months i believe six months it was a really really quick turnaround same same type of thing as major league eating except uh people kind of knew what they're doing right which is an improvement uh what what kind of tools did you guys use for that one we used the uh, vicious engine um i can't remember who, uh the name of the company that makes it uh it's like vicious cycle or something like that but um it's it's another uh 3d engine Hmm. Okay. And so did those tools make it easier to get that stuff done faster and having people that knew what they're doing? Yes, definitely. Uh, Vicious is really, really fast. It's really good for prototyping. It's it's mostly click scripting, um, but there's all the source code is also included to uh, to get it to work on like uh, different platforms. I think I think Vicious was not meant to work on the PS3 or, or wasn't working correctly on the PS3, and our programmer had to had to change the uh, the core of it a lot in order to get it to work correctly. That's crazy. Um, now, click scripting. Can you define what that is? Yes. Um, so it's it's instead of uh, having to type out specific syntax for code, um, you can use uh, like a, a visual tool, kind of like a, a website editor, where uh, you can place things or you can create your own uh, logic in a, in a in a script just using tools with your mouse, um, and it's a little bit easier and quicker to do than coding for 
some situations, but if you're doing something that's complicated, then it's pretty much useless. Right. So that's uh, if you you were talking about web stuff, the WYSIWYG sort of development. Um, right. What you see is what you get. Exactly. Right. So uh, Unreal has that as well. The, their visual scripting and a couple other pretty big engines have that as well. Yes. So okay. So you worked on Kickass. Metalocalypse was canceled, um, and then after that, where did you go from there? Um, after that, I took about a year off, um, and I just lived without having to crunch. <laughs> um, and then after I came back into reality, I started applying to jobs or for jobs again. I think I even, yeah, I applied at, at Carbine Studios. Um, I applied at uh, 38 Studios over in uh, it was Rhode Island, I think, uh, before they before they crashed. <laughs> probably a good thing you didn't uh, get that one. Or glad, or, glad yeah. I didn't go out there. And then uh, I applied at Rockstar and happened to get the job there uh, relatively quickly. I, I guess they hadn't been hiring in a few years, and I just it was one of those things where I hit the hit the right uh, window again. So Rockstar uh, is a huge company now. GTA Five is gigantic. Uh, what what did you work on specifically in GTA Five? Um, so I actually can't say specifically what I worked on, but uh, in general, I worked on like mini games, small content, um, and uh, most uh, most of the team at San Diego uh, was in charge of like mini games and uh, side games, uh, stuff, friend activities, basically. Okay, so. Uh, you, we were kind of talking about crunch. You were saying you took a year off for that. Uh, I imagine getting a game like GTA five done on a deadline is probably a pretty difficult task because it's so huge and you have to make sure that everything's awesome. And when it releases, it's good to go. Um, did the crunching continue for you on that project? Um, definitely. Uh, I definitely have not crunched harder for any other game. So, um, th- this to me is like a very fascinating subject because, um, I used to be a designer. Now I'm a producer and, uh, it's something that I talk with people about quite a bit, uh, because if you've seen the EA wife letters and things like you've, if you've read anything about game development, um, you know, that crunch is a huge part of, of video game development. So what do you think is the solution to that? I'm, I apologize for my dog. Who's, uh, viciously barking at the mailman outside. Uh, what do you think the solution is for crunch? What do you think? How do we avoid it? Um, for large companies like that, I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, it just has to be managed differently, and um, they have to be be willing to pay more money um, for ideas that don't work out. Um, essentially, crunch. I, 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 in my opinion, crunch comes out of the necessity. Um, to change something quickly to like because you, an idea didn't work out so you need to change it um, but you didn't uh, I guess you didn't uh, mitigate enough uh, or not mitigate I guess you didn't analyze it enough to see like if you were pro- taking a proper risk um, you didn't leave yourself enough time at the end uh, to, to compensate for that so re- this is I think one of the the more fascinating subjects about game development because it, it is um typically when you track video games uh in sort of a project management perspective you use something called agile development which means you react to things as they come up and go oh that didn't work out let's change it um movies you can make in like three months like huge movies that are expensive and crazy and gigantic blockbusters but games are experiences that you need to feel good and you can't always 
identify those things. Uh, so maybe maybe the solution for that is you plan more time to f up. Um, maybe the solution to that is that um, you know you you try to avoid those deadlines being pushed out until you can. I mean, the the hard part is you look at gigantic companies like Blizzard. Um, you know they they can take their time with a product and when it's good they can release it. Um, but when you have a smaller company or if you have a a yearly cycle on a game that it needs to come out, um, I think it's a lot more difficult to kind of put out. I think Ubisoft came under a lot of fire with uh, the last Assassin's Creed game because it had a lot of bugs and things like that. But they have to get a product out every year. And so sometimes you just can't get to that point. So to your point, I don't know what the solution is either other than you wait until the game is good to release it. Right. Change change the way, the method. <laughs> yeah, I think, but it's, you know, companies need to make their money back if they've invested tens of millions of dollars into it. You know, it's, it gets harder and harder to wait. So it's a big, uh, it's a big problem, but it's one I always try to discuss with the teams that I'm on so we can avoid it as much as possible. But uh, to your point, I think it's almost, it's almost difficult to avoid. Um, I mean, even companies like Blizzard will, will crunch their guys and Epic Games, you know, they came under fire not too long ago about crunching their guys. And I, I don't know how to avoid it because you even getting a larger team um, doesn't always help. That becomes a harder thing to manage. And blah, it's a lot of a lot of stuff anyway. Um, yeah, I still even crunch um, these days. Um, honestly, not as much, but um, every once in a while we'll have. Um, a night or a couple nights where you know I'm working, I'm just sitting on my computer the entire day. <laughs> well, now, do you do that because you have something that you need to deliver by a point, or is it because you're excited about the project and you're just working on it nonstop? Normally, it's because of uh, we deliver or we promised a, a delivery at a specific time. So, do you guys have like a publisher that you are delivering these things to specifically? Uh, right now, we're working with a distributor, um, Nick Alfieri in. Uh, he he has a company called Digital, uh, sorry, Digirati, uh, Digirati Distribution. I, I still don't know how to pronounce that, honestly. <laughs> but uh, he's uh, he's located in Florida, so he's uh, our newest, I guess, third member of the team. But he he does all uh, business dev stuff, and he was the one that uh, helped us with our Kickstarter and actually suggested that we do the Kickstarter in in the first place. Yeah, I feel like Kickstarter not only is it good to to raise money, but it's also just a great marketing tool in general just because it has a huge community already. That's actually how it was presented to us. It was presented more as like a marketing tool and as a, a um interest raising tool. Um and we uh we weren't looking for funding specifically from Kickstarter until you know, we decided, hey, let's let's see if people want platforms and then we just put the the price of all the all the different things we needed. <laughs> That uh, makes sense. So, um, when you guys were designing out all the different tiers and things like that to make this Kickstarter successful, what were your, what was your thought process? Um, I didn't design the tiers, um, <clears throat> but um, I, I guess the general thought process was, uh, you know, we just want to make the the tiers something that uh, that people could could physically get uh, that's or not physically get, but that's something that they could get that's not. Um, that they couldn't get any other time that they could get exclusively through the Kickstarter. Um, so we, we thought about like discounting the game um, because you can't, because they'll, they'll get something for, uh, for donating to us through the Kickstarter as opposed to just buying the game outright. Um, and there's, 
we wanted to make some uh, like unique and original stuff. So there's like a, a, a design doc on there. Um, like this, we're gonna release a soundtrack uh, to a lot of the Kickstarter uh, guys. Um, but we we kind of had a problem trying to figure out what people actually wanted. Um, when we when we asked people for uh, suggestions, a lot of people said, you know, throw a, a T-shirt in there or posters. But um, we noticed a lot of people didn't really care about that stuff. So it was really tough coming up with the tiers, and it ended up in this in kind of a fiasco because we started out with about, I think, 10 tiers, and near the end of the project, because we kept at- adding tiers for people who asked, we ended up with about 30. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. It was uh, it was a little messy, but now we know for the next time to definitely keep that to a minimum. Yeah, you get that. Uh, we were talking with the uh, Chasm guys last time, and they said that they wanted to avoid the... Um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Where there's there's so many choice, the choice paralysis problem, I guess. So it's like, oh my god, there's so much stuff. How do I pick which one I want? Um, but yeah, no, I I did the same thing with Mortifera. You know, I put it out, and then there were people that were saying like, you should have one of these, and then I would put it in. Um, but usually, I tried to restrict it as much as possible. If I got an overwhelming amount, then I would say, okay, I'll I'll make this tier. But if otherwise, if it was one or two people, then I'd kind of ignore it. Yeah, we got too excited right off the bat. So people were asking us in the first couple hours, and we're like, "Yeah, let's do it." Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I mean, you know, maybe it's a good thing because you got people. You know, if you typically when people get listened to, they they tend to be happy, right? So if you're listening to a lot of people, then that's a good thing, right? So, um, all right. So now we're back to Slain. Um, I wanted to kind of talk more process about this stuff now. So you you're now in Unity. You are working remotely with, and I'm sorry, what is this dude's name that you're working Andrew. with? Andrew. Andrew, I'm Andrew sorry. Andrew Gilmore. Andrew Gilmore. Okay, sorry. Uh, so you're working with Andrew, and you're creating this stuff from afar. And as the tech director, like, what do you? what is a daily uh, glimpse into your life like working as a tech director? <laughs> um, usually it uh, starts with uh, me making videos of the game. So I'm uh, working with a contract sound designer right now to get a lot of the sounds for our game. Uh, first, I was kind of just pulling them out of uh, different sound libraries that I've, we've purchased in the past and uh, making them with uh, some audio equipment that I have. But uh, the Kickstarter allowed us to hire a contract sound designer just to get us um, a nice library of sounds for the game. So my, usually my day starts with me playing the game and making videos of, of different things so I can point out to the sound designer uh, what different objects in the game i want to have uh, sounds and just make descriptions of, of sounds <laughs> that's cool okay um so, but yeah i mean a lot of the stuff is is design um and then sometimes i have a meeting or a call um i usually take, try to take care of those things in the morning and then after that it's just whatever the game needs um most of the time i'm in code but honestly it's it's whatever needs my attention so sometimes i'm in code sometimes i'm um, in the Unity editor, moving and placing things. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm just writing C Sharp and uh, just looking at whatever needs my attention. So when you are uh, making a side scroller, what do you think the top three most important things are for making sure that it's a solid side scroller? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, side scroller is uh, pretty generic, but uh, in our game, since there's uh, since we have since it's an action side scroller. I guess for me, the most important things are the uh, the combat. So that for, to me, that encompasses the enemies and the uh, the way the 
the the player moves. So it has to has to feel good or feel fun at least. Um, and then after that comes the uh, the platforming. Um, I've I found that it's people are more, are kind of forgiving of a lot of the platforming stuff if the uh, the combat's fun. Um, when when we get our first our original feedback from uh, the slain stuff, we had a lot of uh, platforming bugs, and I thought people were going to uh, to really hate all the platforming bugs and leave a lot of that in their feedback. And most people didn't even notice it; <laughs> they were too concerned with playing with the uh, the combat and things. Um, and then after that, I kind of I I feel personally that every game needs to have a solid story or a, like a solid reason to play the game, um, and like. It, keep you interested throughout the game so uh ben we don't have to go into details but how do you guys deliver story in a side scroller i mean there's there's a lot of different ways but how do you guys do it specifically uh we're actually working on that uh this as like this week this that's the main thing we're working on is how to deliver the story but uh, we use a lot of different things uh so we use uh you know your generic cutscenes first um but we also use uh Small things throughout the level, so uh, small story elements that, like where a character will pop out from from behind uh, an object, or uh, you'll you'll come up to a scene um, or a spot in the level, and there will be a, a, some kind of uh, like scenario set up uh, where you know maybe some some characters that you run into later are there and run run off, um, but there's uh, we we try to do a lot of subtle stuff, um, but most most of the story is displayed through cutscenes, um, kind of like how you would have seen it in in a an old two D game on like the Atari or something, where it's it's all text and a few characters on the screen. So is is it like word bu- like chat bubbles that, that pops in, or is it like uh, or is it like Ninja Gaiden the original one where they would have like images and then they would have a bunch of words under said image or right yeah currently there's a portrait uh, and then a bunch of words next to the portrait okay so it's it's kind of like symphony of the night or mega man x or something like that yep exactly okay so all right so you deliver the story that way um you were saying combat is really important i agree with you so what specifically makes slain different than you know other action heavy combat side scrollers um to be honest, not not much. Um, <laughs> I know that's that's not really selling it, but um, well, but but if it's good, it doesn't matter, right? Right. We're kind of we're kind of just trying to stay true to just um, basic combat that we enjoy. Um, we've been playing a lot of uh, I've been playing a lot of Bloodborne, and the artist plays a lot of Cross Souls, uh, Dark Souls. But um, he's been uh, we we've both been trying to kind of take some of the elements of those games and see if we can we can apply them to in 2d and it's it's pretty difficult uh <laughs> especially taking like those timed uh combos we've been trying to uh to figure out a way to get those to feel good in 2d and mm, <laughs> it's 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 pretty difficult uh task so so um, with, with your combat is it different you have like a, a heavy attack and all because if you're going like the souls games right you have like your heavy attack and your light attack and maybe you have like a differentiation on on the weapon in some sort of way like what uh, how are how are they close to what you're talking about? Because I love those games too, and they're awesome. So how are you um, translating that in the side scroller? Because that's that's pretty cool. Right. So um, one of the um, so the the weapon has uh, several different elements. So you can collect an item and get uh, a, either like a fire element. Uh, there's a, 
a blood sword, which is purely a uh, cosmetic that we gave away for the uh, the Kickstarter. Um, there's uh, an ice axe, um, and there's a like a, a death magic sword. Um, so there's those different elements that work differently on different enemies. <laughs> so you can have uh, like a um, using the fire, you get a, a attack buff for for killing enemies that are, are have flesh, where it has no effect on like say skeletons. Um, there's that, and there's also the uh, combos. If you pull off the combo correctly, you get like a large attack that does a lot more damage. <laughs> um, and we also have a, a special attack that's a, a decapitate attack. Um, and if you decapitate an enemy, you um, you take mana from it. So you you ends up being a, a mechanic to to gain mana to in order to use uh, different magic moves uh, that we also have in the game. So are these attacks based off of, you know, a couple button presses or are they based off of timing? Like when he, you see like a glimmer in the sword and you hit it again, that, that's going to unlock another part of the combo. How does it work? Right. So right now it's based on timing uh, where we kind of play with it. Um, f- when we first had it out, uh, had the game, t- we first had the combat together. We uh, had most of the, the combos on different button presses and you had to do a combination of, of different button presses but found out that was kind of too complicated um, and ended up moving all the moves to one button um, that you can you just have to time correctly. Uh, right now, there are no visual cues other than how far you are through the combo. Okay. So um, uh, another sort of interesting thing that I kind of picked up on from what you were talking about was the platforming and developing for that. So when you guys are walk me through like an example or a touchstone if you will of another game that you guys are kind of heading towards is it more like Mega Man kind of stuff or is it more like Castlevania kind of stuff or like how is the platforming like what is it like um I I can't think of a specific game uh that I can say it's like but basically there are a lot of moving platforms um I I would kind of say it's a lot like Ghosts and Goblins where they're just oddly difficult uh, <laughs> jumps you have to make and uh, just strange strange uh, platforms that you have to get onto strange little like challenges like a like you have a little tiny platform going over a lake of lava that you have to hit <laughs> right. and um, all the all the platforming stuff is uh, is also integrated into puzzles so usually in order to even open up the platforms to get to different areas you have to figure out the puzzle in order to make it make the, the machine run so that you can get to the next area so uh, let's talk about difficulty a little bit. You were talking about that with you know hitting the the platform at the right time and all that stuff. How do you guys balance for difficulty? Are you trying to make something like the Bloodborne games that are really brutal, or are you trying to make something that's a little bit more easily accessible? Uh, the idea that we had was something that was really brutal because we uh, want to just I guess make something that we want to play. So the way we balance it right now is if we can we can get through it, it stays in for now, and then. Uh, when we get to a point where we think it's going to be ready for um, a lot more hard testing and, and uh, difficulty tweaking, then we'll start doing that, um, which we're actually getting pretty close to. We're trying to find um, some some good testers that we can use for uh, the, the duration of the project that uh, will be able to, to help us tweak the difficulty and tweak the, the, the different, uh, different mechanics in the game. When you guys are thinking about testing like have you tested it with many people so far has it just been what you guys have been kind of developing and thinking how it works 
so far just internally uh, with friends and with uh, a lot of some of the Kickstarter um, people. That's about it. But yeah, we haven't opened up the game too much. Um, we've we sent out the demo to some press too. Okay. Um, so your my next question actually was going to be about testing. So you're looking to get? Are you going to go to like a contract house? Are you going to get like individuals that are just interested in testing the game? How's how's that going to work? Yeah, right now we're just looking at individuals because most of us know at least a few people who are either looking for work or can offer their their assistance with uh, things like this. Um, but, you know, if we need to, we'll, we'll reach out to uh, professional places or, like, businesses that, that uh, do strictly testing. Okay. So uh, I wanted to talk to you a bit about business models as well. Um, right now, Steam has been a pretty good place to, to release games, and they've had a huge influx of different types of business models. Some people do the early access stuff. Some people just do the buy once and you're good to go there's free to play there's all sorts of different models what are you guys thinking about uh right now we're just trying to keep it simple since it's our first game um i i want to definitely visit all the different business models or at least you know um, look into them like we were thinking of of different things we could do for free to play for a different game but for slain we kind of want to make it uh kind of i guess the, the old way where you just have to buy it um and you get the game there's no hidden, not I guess not hidden. There's it's not a free to play where there's costs in the game, no microtransactions, or um, anything like that for us to get money in different ways. Very cool. Um, so, you guys are working on this. When this finishes, what's the next step? Are you gonna go for another game? You thinking about making a sequel to this? I mean, or have you even gotten to that point because you've been so head down on this? Uh, right now, the uh, it's up between either a sequel or a different game. So we're going to see how well this game does and if people want a sequel. And if they do, that's probably the next thing we're going to be working on. Um, other than, Otherwise, we'll probably um, come up with a smaller game that we can work on um, so that we can continually update Slain and then kind of see where we are as far as our business and see what we can do. Very cool. So, sir, uh, I think our time is running near. Um but I wanted to ask, did you have anything that you wanted to pimp out aside from Slain? Or what's the website that people can go visit it at? Uh, it's wolfbrewgames.com. All right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think I think I, uh, I talked about most of the stuff that I need to pimp out. So thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate you having him on the show. And hopefully I didn't ramble on too much. No, that's, you know, everybody always asks that. Like, hopefully I didn't ramble. Uh, I think that's kind of the point is that you can come on here and ramble because I think people find that stuff interesting. Hopefully my ramblings were good. I, I think they were. So thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. And thank you guys for coming to check out the show. Again, if you want to hear more stuff, you can go to patreon.com backslash Stephen Frost or check it out on Podbean or on iTunes for Game Devastation. Uh, Asa, thanks again for coming on, man. Appreciate your time. And uh, thank you guys for checking out the show. Adios.